Good morning and welcome everyone to Live Dharma Sunday for May 15th, 2016. Koyo Kobose here. So very glad you joined us. Well, if you, I think many of us, you know, Adrian is, my wife Adrian, she's a political junkie. She always watching CNN and so forth. And I think a lot of us uh, are getting caught up in the election this year, presidential election. Uh, media coverage is so uh, ubiquitous and ever-present. And uh, I read an article that I thought made a nice teaching. This was an article, uh, editorial letter um, that appeared in The Week magazine. Actually, it's back in April 15th issue of this of 2016. And uh, the editor uh, made a nice observation. And I think the lesson is is that when you're in the midst of a trying situation or event, you can endure the present by keeping uh, perspective, you know, time, broader time perspective. And here's, I'm just going to read the editor's letter. When George W. Bush was re-elected in 2004, and Republicans increased their majorities in the House and Senate, the weeks, this is, that's the magazine's name, the weeks cover illustration did a forlorn Democratic donkey on the all-red map of the nation's heartland under the headline, Lost in America. Our stories describe blue state Democrats suffering from post-traumatic stress asking their shrinks for Prozac, and consulting real estate ads in Canada. Four years later, Barack Obama swept into the White House on a wave that gave him a Democratic Senate and House, and it was Republicans who were sure the sky was falling. It is useful to remember these swings of the pendulum when political columnists wonder, will Trumpism permanently alter the course of American politics? If I had to take a wild guess, it would be heck no. Human beings are prone to fallacies. One of the more common ones is the assumption that what is happening today is of lasting significance. That a present trend can be plotted along the straight line to predict the future. Not so. You know, it's this kind of notion that leads to proclamations that the winner of every election has forged a new, quote, durable majority, unquote. The American political dynamic does change and evolve, but like all evolution, the process occurs gradually in fits and starts. Over the past 60 years, power has swung back and forth between the parties as the party in power inevitably overreacts and the losing party learns from defeat and adapts. Donald Trump has tapped into some deep resentment, but his candidacy 
is a cult of personality to which 60% of the Republicans and nearly 100% of everyone else is immune. When Trump is finally dispatched back to reality TV, he will be remembered with chagrined wonderment, the way any of us looks back on our most reckless love affair or drinking binge that ended in a day-long hangover. The last sentence reads, This, too, shall pass. William Falk, Editor-in-Chief. <laughs> yeah, I read that. I said, yeah, that's true, because every time something, little news event gets blown up, and, of course, media covers it to the, to the heck of it, you know, to the extreme, and, wow, this is... The present, we think the present is really we're overly influenced by the present. And we should not overreact when we're in the midst of some kind of a trying situation or event. Yeah. And we can be, we can endure this present by keeping perspective. And that that phrase, I think, is a lot of times it attributed to a sort of a Zen philosophy, and we just say to ourselves, this too shall pass. <laughs> well, I thought I'd share that because <laughs> this political election is something else. I'd like to go on to introduce today's guest to give us a Dharma glimpse. This is Morris Secchio, and uh, he was in the LM3 group, he lives in Florida, and Sekio, Yo, of course, as I always mention, is our bright dawn, the, the sun, S-U-N, and the, the first Chinese character or kanji of our Dharma names is more personalized, and it's this is Seki, which means uh, stone. Uh, so his Dharma name, Sekio, would be Stone Sun. I choose the names based upon my experiences with the person and so forth, my impressions. And uh, sometimes you need to explain uh, the word of a Dharma name. Stone doesn't mean uh, immovable or unfeeling. Stone Sun. In our tradition, uh, I use the, the um, symbol of stones and rocks and pebbles and, and say the Dharma is my rock. Hey, the Dharma rocks. Get it? <laughs> you know, or we had some guests uh, recently. They went to Yosemite and they said, yeah, we want to see El Capitan. Um, you know, there are three... Um, three treasures, sort of, of Yosemite National Park. One is El Capitan, one is uh, Half Dome, and the other is Glacier Point. And uh, these three are tourist aspects of Yosemite, according to popular opinion. But And El Capitan is the largest single uh, granite, continuous piece of granite. It's a huge rock. <laughs> I said, hey, this is a Dharma rock, all right. 
artists in the world. And um, so Stone, and also Stone, sometimes used in the sort of as a drug uh, uh, hippie culture, you know, and I think there's some songs or some lyrics that say Stone, uh, I'm Stone in Love with You, or to mean totally, you know, completely. And, of course, I think uh, stone could uh, imply uh, a solidity, a solidness. Okay. And that was some of my impressions of Morris. as Secchio, a very solid person, and yet a very passionate person okay, for following his values and so forth. So, in any case, I always thought it's, it's nice to comment on a person's uh, Dharma name. And so let's hear from Morisekio to give us a Dharma glimpse this morning. Good morning, everyone. I teach Tai Chi at the YMCA. And one nice sunny morning earlier this month, I left the house about 7.30 to go teach a couple of classes. Got home about three hours later, pulled into my drive, and came to an abrupt halt. Right where I parked my car, an entire mature redbud tree lay flat on the ground. Redbud trees are native to Florida. They usually don't get very big, but this particular one had grown pretty large. I had purchased it, a foot-tall bare root seedling, from our Soil and Water Conservation Agency 14 years ago, a few weeks after we bought this house. With care and watering that first springtime, it had thrived, growing to about 25 feet tall, with a trunk about a foot in diameter. This spring, as usual, the tree put out its clusters of magenta buds, which then opened up to cover its branches with lavender blossoms. As the flowers fell, the leaves sprouted. By all appearances, it was its usual leafy green self, prepared to shade the front porch during the summer. But there it was, lying lifeless in my parking space. My first response was an internal complaint about the amount of work it was going to involve getting that tree cut up and out of my way. My second response, however, was relief. As I looked at the tree lying there, I realized it had fallen away from the front porch, not onto the house. And yes, it was in my parking spot. But if it had fallen an hour or two earlier or later, my car would have been under it. I wasn't happy the tree had fallen, but if it was going to fall, I was glad it had fallen when it did. I wondered why the tree had come down. These trees tend not to live very long because, like us, their physical forms are subject to disease. And I looked at the base of the tree where it had broken from the ground and realized that while the branches and leaves seemed healthy and happy, there was suffering at the roots. I brought the electric pruning saw outside and started cutting up the tree, and I felt a wave of sadness. I had known this tree during what you might consider its botanical infancy. I had nurtured it from a dormant twig, It had given me much in return. As it had matured, I had hung hummingbird feeders and potted Christmas cactus plants from its branches. On many weekends, I had mown my lawn and then sat on my shaded front porch drinking iced tea, listening to the subtle melody its leaves made when stirred by the breeze. Those leaves, by the way, bear an interesting resemblance to the leaves of the Bodhi tree, the ficus beneath which the Buddha sat when he became enlightened. Both have heart-shaped leaves of a deep, rich green. I gave that tree a place to grow. 
It gave me a lifetime of shade and beauty, and now logs to warm next winter's hearth. I kept one of its heart-shaped leaves to press beneath the pages of a book, a translation of Senzaki's Gateless Gate. I chose that book because it was the thickest one on my desk at the time, but also because I use it as a reference now and then. I will probably forget the leaf is in there. It'll be nice one day to open that book looking for something about the Dharma and discover the leaf from this tree that gave me so much. Well, thank you for your attention, and I hope you enjoy your Sunday. Yeah, thank you very much, much. Oh, boy. I think this sentimentality is really what life is all about. And uh, we learn so much from nature and the way we interact with nature and our empathy. Um, I think what, what underlies our sensitivity is that we are part of nature too, uh, you know. And uh, there's all kind of lessons. Uh, perhaps we don't necessarily articulate them or even are conscious of them, but lessons of impermanence, of interdependency, and I think all of us can relate or identify with the when we take care of uh, a plant or a pet, all kinds of things. Uh, and if their lifespan is, uh, well, you know, shorter than ours, and we experienced its birth and death, there's some kind of kinship or empathy that we feel and um, I think this is a, a valuable uh, stirring or, or um, resonance deep within us that we we should really uh, become more aware of and have it impact us these are the teachings that and I think we can really Identify with the fact that, yeah, because the tree is us. The tree is the person. I mean, it's part of his life thing and planted it, watered it, experienced seasons with it. And uh, sometimes I, I, I state uh, at memorial services or something where, you know, the impact of the deceased loved one. And then you have the the family, the surviving family, that they're not separate lives. You can't look at one life and not see the influence of a lot of other lives. And there are particular occasions when we really learn this teaching. And that's one of the most impactful opportunities to learn this is when one of them has... uh, physically made the big change from what we call life's death. Um, and I think uh, it's not necessarily sentient things or beings. Uh, we have the same, share the same with objects that we share. You know, our life is in the object and the object 
entered into, interacted with our lives. Maybe, you know, it might be someone's favorite chair or like, for example, um, furniture. Um, you, well, I'm thinking about our dining table. The dining table that we that we have and that we use is Adrian's parents' dining table. It's the table that she grew up with. She and had two sisters. Okay, so the parents, you know, that there were five in their family: mother and father, and the three daughters, and they grew up sitting at that table. Uh, I've been at that table many times for for dinner and as a son-in-law. Uh, I know that table was there for many social gatherings. Adrian's mom was known as the number one host. <laughs> and uh, so many relatives and family get-togethers um, happened around that dining room set. And now, it's ours. <laughs> and every once in a while, I I remember its history. And it represents a lot of activity, a lot of living, a lot of lives. Um, there is a tremendous, well, I don't know, <laughs> uh, but also I'm thinking about the fact that there, the fact of impermanence adds such impact to our experiences. You know, something <laughs> lasted forever, whatever forever means. I wonder whether we would, we could really appreciate its existence, its influence with us. I wonder. Um, there's a quote that says, death is the mother of beauty. Um, I don't remember where I read this or who to attribute it to, but uh, death is the mother of beauty. I mean, if, if, if you're talking about a flower, uh, whether we're uh, conscious of it or not, you know, uh, when we look at the beauty of the flower and appreciate it, but underlying it is, is is we have that appreciation of beauty because it that flower's not gonna last. Huh? Uh, it's the same with people. It's the same with you know, and, and not just beauty, but many other kinds of aspects of of uh, objects, people, events. The dynamic, that's part of the dynamic power of the Dharma, I think. Hmm? The impermanence and interdependency. (laughs) I'm kind of chuckling because a lot of times I do talk about impermanence and interdependency. The two core pillars of Eastern philosophy, Buddhist religion, and uh, both of those words start with the letter I, and I sometimes play with words and linguistic twistings and say, these are the two eyes that Buddhists look out at the world with. So, 
And uh, more Ezekiel mentioned the heart-shaped body leaf. And uh, by coincidence, or maybe not by coincidence, I was given a body tree. Um, maybe it's been about half a year now. And it was a body tree uh, that um, came from a family uh, who lived in New York. And I, I met this, this this couple. And the husband, he was older than I was, but I was just visiting New York, at New York Temple. And, and uh, when I meet older people who had experiences and uh, when my father would go to guest speak and everything, and so this man made a point to say, you know, really am a follower of your father's teachings. You know, he really expresses the Dharma in such a way and so forth. And and uh, uh, I'm so gratified to be able to hear these comments when I travel around and that my father had as a teacher. And this man, you know, he, they say all kinds of expressions of this admiration for my father. And this man says, when your father comes to New York, I am his man. You know, whatever he needs, transportation or a place to stay and so forth. So this was their Bodhi tree in their home. And when these, this couple passed away, uh, one of their adult children, I guess, uh, uh, was dis- distributing parents' possessions and uh, knew the director of the Numata Translation Center in, in the Bay Area in California was friends with the director. And I guess somehow through that connection gave the Bodhi, there were several Bodhi plants to that Numata Translation Center. And the director through that connection, I, I know him, and he and he knew of connection of this couple, uh, admiration for my father, and so he emailed me and said, told me the story of how he got these body trees and said, do you want one? I said, yes. And not only in the previous years prior to that, I had been trying to propagate from seeds and whatnot a body plant and and did not have success. I tried really hard, and I, uh, so I was uh, thrilled to say yes. Plus, it had the history of that I just described to it, made it extra special. So, this body tree made its way to Bright Dawn Center here, and it's been doing really nice. And just last week, I put it outside. Try to. You know, it's a tropical tree, a ficus tree. And uh, uh, because of its history, its its background and historical background as being the tree that uh, the Buddha sat under and so forth, its um, plant a nomenclature name is ficus religiosa. Um, it's very difficult in... Central California climate 
it's not easy for them to survive in the ground and because uh, in the winter if it gets below 50 in the below 50 degrees in the winter which it does here uh, it's it's kind of rough on this tropical tree but i know many buddhist temples in central california do have bodhi trees on their grounds so it's not uh impossible and uh, I have plans to try to could do rather than keeping it as a indoor plant I know my father used to have some Bodhi plants inside the house and and my my sister and brother-in-law have them now my brother-in-law is a bonsai enthusiast so he has a you know, good collection of a lot of bonsais and including the, bon, the Bodhi tree plant from my parents' place. and um, But I, for some reason, I said to myself, no, I'm not going to try to make a bonsai out of this particular Bodhi tree. I'm going to see if it could, it'll, you know, I transplant it in bigger and bigger pots and see if it'll grow into a tree. I'm kind of curious to see whether I, it can do it and what kind of a tree it could be. Because I've seen different Bodhi trees in, at temples here in Central Cal, and uh, they're they're different sizes. One is uh, as a mature tree; it's you know so many feet high. There's one that's at the Fresno Temple. It's a huge one. I mean, uh, it must be 60, 70 feet high, and the trunk must be four or five feet in diameter. Whereas other mature trees that have uh, at other temples, they're you know, different shapes and sizes. So I don't know the reason for this, but maybe this Bodhi tree that I have plant right now and transplant it into uh, bigger pots, try to take care of it, bring it in during the winter and so forth, and maybe try to make it hardy, you know, over some, some years. And if it, if it survives and it's healthy and it gets to be, I don't know, five, six feet tall. It might come a time when I don't know the I don't know what I'm doing, but you know, if there comes a time when I feel it's ready to go into the ground, I have a spot picked out right in front of our Sierra Sanctuary. And my vision, my dream of my vision of what it would look like is whatever however big it is or whatever shape it is, it's gotta have a treasured spot. Right in front of the the sanctuary, and uh, I might not be. I I don't know how long it'll take. Plus, I don't know if it's going to happen because I have to prepare myself in the back of my mind that it that along the way it might not make it. Uh, And so that all this flashed through my mind when today's Dharma gems. background of the story and also he mentioned the Bodhi tree leaf, shaped leaf and of course you know our logo Bright Dawn Center's logo is a Bodhi leaf with the Bright Dawn sun sunrise right in the middle of the leaf and uh, as sunrises go our colors are uh, different shades of orange and yellow for the sun there 
And interestingly, the shape of the that the shape of that particular logo of the leaf was taken from a leaf, body leaf that was picked up at Buddha Gaya in India when one of Adrian's nieces was on a spiritual pilgrimage and visited the site of Gautama uh, Buddha's enlightenment and the cuttings from the original tree 2,500 years ago were kept, you know, kept successively and presumably this tree there currently there is a descendant of the original tree that the Buddha sat under and she picked up Adrian's niece picked up one of the the leaves body leaves that, that that had fell to the ground and she had kept kept it with her and so she used that exact shape of that leaf when she designed our logo well <laughs> that's all for today's broadcast till next time keep going and you have a very beautiful 